Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Voice Less Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. Follow the link in the description to pre-order a copy of the book so you'll be the first to receive it on the date of September 1st, 2022. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 22 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are going to be talking about how to perform a waste audit in your home. Now, this concept can also be applied on a larger scale to businesses, but we are going to focus specifically on how individual consumers can do that in this episode. In the Outdoor Minimalist book, set to be released on September 1st, 2022, I also discuss a waste audit to move towards lower waste backpacking. So if you're someone that likes to have tips like these written out or on hand to reference, the link to pre-order a copy of the book is in the show notes. Okay, so for those that aren't sure what a waste audit actually is, essentially it is a survey of the waste created on any waste stream. So of course this is going to be larger for businesses and factories, but each individual also is creating waste along this greater scheme of a waste stream. I've found that evaluating the amount of waste that I'm actually producing is a really excellent mental exercise. It doesn't mean that I have to or will ever be able to completely eliminate waste in my life, but it can show me the amount of trash that I'm producing on a day-to-day, weekly, monthly, however long you track it, basis. In my life, I've found that it helps me prevent that out-of-sight, out-of-mind mindset that often comes along with recycling and trash. It keeps me accountable for how I handle my trash, but I've also found that it is hard not to hyper-focus on perfection here. So there's a lot to unpack, but to help me discuss a little bit more about waste audits, I'm excited to introduce Zoe Serrano to the show. Zoe is a recent college graduate and an environmental activist who is living in Portland, Oregon. She currently runs the blog, Cut the Crap, which aims to provide accessible ways to both make sustainable changes as well as realistically take action in the climate movement. Besides running her website, she enjoys hiking the beautiful Pacific Northwest, volunteering, and hanging out with her cats and husband. Zoe is moving into studying environmental policy and is enjoying collaborating with other inspiring activists from all over the world. Before we get to the interview, in case you haven't heard yet, today is the day. Monday, February 7th, the Outdoor Minimalist Patreon is now live. So you can head over to theoutdoorminimalist.com or jump down to the show notes to find the link to see what's included in the Patreon, and you can sign up for one of the two tiers today. So Zoe, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. I'm excited to learn more about your work in advocacy, as well as your process for waste audits. But before we get into all of that, do you mind telling us a little bit more about how outdoor recreation fits into your life and what you like to do outside? Sure. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to get the opportunity to come and 
speak with you. Well, outdoor recreation, I mean, it's honestly my saving grace when it comes to mental health, especially working in environmental advocacy. It's a pretty overwhelming field to be in. I mean, as many of us know, just seeing the news, reading news stories can be a lot to handle. So for me, getting outside, disconnecting from technology, disconnecting from all of my advocacy work and just getting on a nice walk, breathing the fresh air. That really is one of the few things that can calm me down and kind of take my mind off of everything else that I'm doing. Being outside for me is really my happy place. I mean, as a child, I was the person who talked to trees, you know. I, I spent all of my time outside with a book, just connecting, feet on the ground, no shoes. So being outside like that has always been something super special to me and it's become even more special to connect it with my advocacy work because I feel like it's really hand in hand once you start understanding what you want to protect um, you really appreciate everything outside so much more from the plants to the animals just to the way the wind feels on your face I mean it's just kind of a whole process for me so getting out and hiking and I'm new to Oregon, so exploring all the beautiful places Oregon has to offer, that's just really been so transformative for me and my eco-anxiety and mental health. That's really awesome. I definitely identify with a lot of things you're explaining, and I'm also new to the Pacific Northwest, awesome. but it's so beautiful. So beautiful. <laughs> it's crazy. So how did you get involved in environmental advocacy? You said that you just you were really kind of tuned in to nature and everything as a child. So did that start really young or is that kind of a new pursuit? It's definitely something that started really young. In school, I'm a recent college graduate, but what I did was get my degree in conservation biology. So every single day for four years, um, we're reading, we're learning about what's happening on our planet. Um, and I started to feel super alone in the whole thing. I, I felt like I was the only person out there who knew we were losing entire population of plants and animals or, or whole glaciers were disappearing or there's communities of people, entire countries that are being affected by climate disasters and they're losing their loved ones every single year due to things that are theoretically controllable. So basically my advocacy started from a feeling of helplessness and feeling like I just wanted to stand on top of the rooftops and scream this to the world and help people really understand what was going on and, and realize that, well, this is a scary, a scary issue we're being faced with. Um, there are things we can do. The solutions are out there. It's more so of us just waking up and realizing that that we can play a part in, in advocacy and our voices do matter. And once we kind of realize that and start to unite, we're going to be able to see real change. It's just that first step of education and awareness that a lot of us, unfortunately, it's on the back burner, which is completely understandable due to the overwhelming situation of the nature. But it's something that still is on that back burner and it really needs to come forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that type of advocacy, I think, is relatively similar to, I guess, what I'm doing mm -hmm. here. But Zoe and I first connected with your blog, which is Cut the Crap. So is that the main, I guess, channel for your advocacy? Or how do you kind of pursue that? Is advocacy kind of more a side project or is it your main career path at the moment? Well, I would say advocacy, it's the main mission of my life, but it is a side job at the moment. It's, it's not what is financially keeping me going, but it is, it's what my, my passions lie in. So I would say my website, Cut the Crap, is the main channel. Um, I kind of use that as a sustainability toolbox and I use that for myself and I also want it to be a toolbox that can be shared with others. So everything I publish on my website it, are things 
things that I'm personally working on or projects that I'm researching about. It's kind of like a journal for myself that I want to share with the world. It's it's everything relevant to my life and what I'm finding is helping me. Because usually what helps yourself is going to help somebody else out there in the world. Top of my website, I, I do so many other side projects um, in terms of advocacy. I guess the biggest one right now would be I'm leading a plastic committee for the Climate Reality Portland chapter, if you've ever heard of that organization. It's headed by Al Gore, which is really awesome. He is a, is a pretty big inspiration in the environmental movement. But so with that plastic committee, we are going to be tackling single-use plastics around the Portland metro area by working with some local cafes and restaurants and, and giving them the options they have for reusable to-go wear, as well as inspiring others and giving them the tools to speak to their own locally frequented coffee shops and restaurants, just to get the word out there to our entire community that there's alternatives available. I mean, we have the solutions. It's just, can we scale it and can we get others to really know about it? So those are kind of the two channels I do. I, I work for the Oregon Energy Fund. So my main job right now is a program coordinator for that. So I, I get to work on a lot of social issues, which is great. It's, it's overwhelming for the mind, but I'm able to have my hands in kind of a few different areas of, of where we see problems, especially here in the U.S., Wow, yeah, I feel like that gives you a really good big picture um, perspective on a lot of the issues, mm -hmm. and you're not really like pigeonholed into one mm -hmm. area. I do have a question though about that type of advocacy that you're doing. Is that more tailored towards things like zero waste and cutting back on waste that you're producing in your life, similar to what you're doing with the different businesses and cafes and stuff in Portland? Yeah, it definitely follows along the line of zero waste. I hate saying that I'm only working on zero waste because realistically we are probably never going to see that as our lifestyle. I mean zero waste is a really high goal. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of plastics. We rely on them for a lot of necessary things but what I'm trying to target is single-use items that we just really don't need to be using. I mean unnecessary plastic waste and unnecessary waste in general is kind of what I'm trying to target. With my blog I really am trying to push forward the advocacy resources so that people who have started to kind of understand the climate movement, environmental issues, how they can take next steps to get involved and plugged in with the community work that's happening. Because that's the next step in the progression is once you feel comfortable and kind of like your head's on in this whole crazy overwhelming climate movement, that's when you're best able to actually start being an advocate, start volunteering, start using your voice to spread the message. And to me, that's the most beautiful part of the transition is, is helping people get plugged in so that they feel like all of this crazy, overwhelming knowledge they have in their head can actually be used for good. And, and they don't have to sit there holding on to this, this negativity, this helplessness, but they can channel that into hopefully making change and a better future for all of us. It's just beautiful to me to see, see people get plugged in like that. Yeah, that is... Definitely the best part of what you're doing is kind of like seeing those people being able to make those changes and integrate those mm -hmm. aspects into their life. But I definitely agree that it is very overwhelming to get started, especially because in the United States specifically, I know it's true in other parts of the world, but our society really, like we were raised to create waste. And so it is very difficult to, to change those habits and create new patterns in your life. But I am wondering, do you think more of the responsibility should fall on the individual or should it go more towards corporations? Because I feel like that is a, a debate that happens frequently, especially in the zero waste Right, world. and that's, that's a huge debate. And I mean, 
to be frank about it, it, it's the corporations, right? I mean, they're the ones who perpetually, systematically have put in place processes um, to hook us into the waste cycle. I mean, we are victims of advertising as well as just societal norms being pushed onto us. But what I think is beautiful is that as individuals, our voices and more importantly, our money is what is making a difference. You know, we're supporting the corporations. So once we have enough people who are realizing that that corporations are basically forcing us to make these wasteful choices, we can unite and we can start diverting our money, divesting our money into corporations who are incorporating sustainability, who are saying, we hear you and we want to change our practices. We want to be able to move forward in the future not having this impact on the earth. So I love when people who are in the position who have the money set aside to be able to do something like this, when you're supporting corporations who are making sustainable efforts, I mean, you're using your voice in the loudest way possible, right? You're telling them that you're supporting what they're doing. And then the corporations you're not supporting, you know, they're losing out on money. So they're kind of in a position where they have to change if they don't have an audience that's supporting what they're doing. But individuals have the power to show corporations they need to make change, which I think is so awesome because it really shows we can make a difference um, if we just unite. And that's I'm going to say unite a lot because I think right now people are scattered across the world feeling really alone in this fight, feeling like they can't make a difference. But we really just need to get together, have one central message. And once we send that out, I mean, that's going to that's going to be like an explosion going off. And, and I think we're getting really close to that, especially as more and more people are starting to tune into what's happening and seeing visible effects of, you know, climate change in their own backyards. Um, I think that's something that we're going to be seeing really soon is, is people uniting and, and sending these strong, strong messages to corporations who are responsible. So I think that's really interesting to see. And I think that's something we're going to be seeing playing out a lot in the next couple of years here. It is really about that collective action because being an individual, navigating all of it can be really, really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But then thinking about all of the other people that could contribute in the same way can bring a little bit of hope. (laughs) So with that idea in mind, I guess, I'm excited to have you kind of discuss a little bit of how people can get started, I guess, because I think a lot of times that is one of the biggest barriers is where do I start? And if you look at all of the different parts of your life that are creating waste, it can become really, really overwhelming. Let's talk about what a waste audit is, just to start. Yeah, that's perfect. And and a waste audit is a very, it's a very broad term. How I like to describe it, at least how I use it when I'm speaking to people, is it really is just looking at the waste you're generating. It can be as intense or as simple as you want to make it. So a lot of people for waste audits, they'll collect their garbage for a certain amount of time. And at the end of that time period, they'll sort it, um, they'll log it, and they'll see what trends, what trends were there. This is not super accessible to everyone. I mean, not everyone wants to dump their trash out on their floor and start sorting it with the family. That's not necessarily family bonding everyone wants. So there's there's a lot of different skills you can take this to. What I do is I log what I throw away for just a couple days throughout the month. So let's say the first day of the month, I'll just keep track of everything I put into the garbage. And then in the middle of the month, I'll pick another day and I'll do the same thing there. The end of the month, I'll pick a day. And then at the end of that entire month, I can sit down and look at where the waste I generated was. For me personally, it's always snacks. I am a huge snacker. I tend to not have a lot of time to be cooking myself homemade snacks. So that's my main place that I like to target. 
that being said, waste audits, I like to use them hand in hand with a goal setting process. And it really lets you dive into what personal choices you're making and quickly assess what, what changes you can be making in terms of lifestyle swaps. So I mean, for me, snacks, immediately there's a goal there to be making my own homemade snacks or switching it up with fruits and veggies that I can buy, you know, without plastic and then cut that up and put it in a jar. I've got a zero waste snack there. You're able to set goals, you're able to make lists, um, you're able to see what you can target, and it just helps you kind of feel like you've got a little bit more of a handle on it. If you're starting out and you don't even know where to begin, this is a really great process because you're going to look at, at the waste and see how you can make changes. For the waste audits, it's also super helpful because you can see what's going into your garbage can that maybe could be taken out. So in terms of recycling, are you throwing away recyclable items that actually your county or city can recycle? So everyone's going to be different. The number of plastics that you can recycle, the size of plastic you can recycle, if you can recycle glass, what type of glass you can recycle. So the first step there is doing research into your own county to see what they accept. But a lot of people actually throw away a lot of things that they can recycle. And I think they're surprised when they pull it out of the garbage and realize, you know, that can actually be sent to have another life, or at least to be disposed of a little more properly than sitting in a landfill for 500 years. I think the other thing that's shocking to people is how much food waste they throw away um, at the end of the week in terms of just not eating your leftovers or a couple veggies got left in the back of the fridge and they went bad before you could use them. I mean, a lot of people don't know that they can use their cooking scraps to create whole new recipes. So that's another really fun kind of route that you can go down there to just be keeping things out of the garbage to be more mindful about your waste practices. It's not only making swaps, but it's seeing if there's already just a simple switch in terms of what you're putting in what bin. That can also make a huge difference on your waste generations. So what I like about it is it's really accessible to everyone. You can choose how intense you want to make this, and you can choose when to make the swaps. You're not committing to anything. You're kind of just creating a list of goals, a list of swaps that could be attainable, and then you can just work that into your lifestyle, you know, as it, as it falls into place. Where do you think is the easiest place you think for people to start? Do you think it is with their kitchen garbage because so much of our waste comes from our food packaging or where would you advise people to begin? Definitely food packaging, I think, is what a lot of people are going to find constitutes the majority of their weekly garbage, um, just because the way our grocery stores here in the U.S. are set up, almost everything is packaged, I mean, including loose vegetables, which it, which is really hard to see, unfortunately, but that's a realistic outcome for most families here in the U.S., unless you're lucky enough to have the accessibility to, to buy products in bulk or without packaging or even get out to the farmer's market is not accessible to a huge majority of the people living here in the U.S. So I think food packaging is something that can really be targeted by having a plant-based diet. I mean, that's what I found to be the biggest success story with my meals was using more vegetables just as the base for my meal, vegetables, grains, and beans. I was able to reduce I would say almost 80% of the packaging I was using for food, which to me, that's a huge win. While it was snacks, that was a game changer for me making, starting to make my own snacks. I mean, my waste production went down so much. And so to me, to see that my food choices, unfortunately, were the largest player in my waste production, you know, I had to sit down and really reassess how I was going to handle making these changes, how I was going to incorporate more cooking into my, to my busy lifestyle. So what can be overwhelming is people thinking they need to 
or can change right away. It's going to be a slow, continuous, gradual process. But the beauty of a waste audit is it's that discussion starter in your home. I mean, you're able to sit down and visibly look at what you can be working on changing. And it's something you can keep using for the whole year just to generate discussions on what you can do. I think people will really be surprised also how much their garbage bin goes down once they see what they can actually properly be recycling. A lot of people just throw everything straight into that garbage bin, not even giving a second thought to recycling. But I think people would be surprised at how how counties and cities are really increasing their recycling capabilities here in the U.S. I know there's a lot of stories about how everything's getting shipped to China. It's not actually getting recycled. But a lot of local solutions actually are being implemented, especially for aluminum recycling. That's something that's always kind of been a for sure for sure thing that can be recycled here in the U.S. But plastic capability really, really is increasing, especially in larger cities. So I always encourage people to get the most up-to-date information on recycling. You can call your local environmental agency. They can put you in the right direction. But I think people will be really surprised at how that's kind of evolving and and what you can be keeping out of the garbage and, and actually recycling. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up the recycling piece because it is really important to find the appropriate resources so you're not overwhelming the recycling centers with improper materials and things that actually are trash. So you did mention the environmental agencies, but do most municipalities also list that on their website or are those environmental agencies the best place to find that info? Most places should be having an up-to-date website with all of the information for recycling and how to properly be recycling. That's definitely something that they should have. Unfortunately, I've come across some people who live in smaller towns, smaller counties, and they just don't have the resources to have a, a web page with that amount of resources. So environmental agencies, I always just recommend because there has to be someone working there. And personally, I worked for a water management organization right next to an environmental agency. So I know that you can personally call them and get redirected um, to recycling resources. So that's always a fail safe, but most counties and most cities do have comprehensive recycling plans if you just put it into Google. Like my city has a really great guide and, and they make sure to tell you you need to wash everything, you need to rinse it out, can't have anything bigger than a certain size for plastic recycling. So they really make it so it's accessible information. Um, they have it in several different languages, which I think is so critical. Um, a lot of these resources put out are only in English, which leaves out a huge portion of our population who wants to be helping, who wants to be doing things properly, but they're not given the they're not given the tools to do so. So it's it's a growing it's a growing process of making recycling accessible, making the information accessible, and kind of getting everyone on the same page. Not not doing aspirational recycling, which is putting every single piece of plastic, cardboard, etc., into the recycling bin because unfortunately we can't recycle it all. But doing that research will get you on a good a good first step to at least making sure that your bins are properly sorted, which will then help you start getting into what goals you can actually be implementing with a waste audit. And I have seen before some waste management systems will sometimes send out flyers or mail people, I don't know, mm -hmm. different things they can put on their fridge for diagrams, infographics. These are the things you can recycle and how to do it. And I think those are really helpful because then you have that visual reminder in the place where you're mm -hmm. actually kind of sorting through your recycling. Exactly. And I love when they send those out. I've seen people with it up on their fridge. I mean, I always have to applaud them. That's just a great way. Every time you open your fridge, you know, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about what you can be recycling. And it's great to have a resource to check back to because most of us, you know, that, that extra thought, it can be a game changer. I mean, if we're Russian, 
We're not necessarily thinking about, oh, do I need to recycle this? Is this okay? You know, we just got to get get it done and keep keep moving. Definitely an accessibility thing. I'll just keep saying that, you know, not not everyone is in a position where they're going to be able to do this. And I just think it's amazing that people who are in the position, if they can do it, it's going to get some discussion starting in communities. And it just creates change on a larger level as you keep talking about it. I mean, we just got to keep this conversation alive. And, and that's how others are going to learn and, and get inspired. Okay, so I kind of want to circle back a little bit to the waste audits, something that is kind of sticking out that you have mentioned a couple of times is kind of forming positive habits. And that really takes a lot of practice and time. And it's easy for people to that approach any form of lowering their impact, whether it's zero waste or something else, they'll try to implement everything all at one time, get really overwhelmed, and then give up. I see that when people try to go plant-based as well. Would you be able to kind of walk us through like a more specific example of a waste audit of someone who's just kind of starting it? I think you did a good job laying out the outline of how to do it yourself, but then kind of some of the changes that you would start to make if you were doing it. Yeah, of course, of course. So on my website, I I did create, you know, four kind of worksheets for a waste audit for people to kind of refer back to with, you know, reflection, questions, waste reduction, goal setting. So looking at that, how I always set up my waste audit is I separate the columns into garbage, recycling, compost, and donation. So if somebody in garbage, you know, I already brought this up, but had a bunch of snack packaging, um, maybe they go through tons of paper towels, maybe they run a daycare. So snacks and paper towels is the majority of their garbage throughout the week. Um, In terms of recycling, it could be a bunch of glass bottles of juice, a bunch of cans of maybe sparkling water. If I were looking at compost, that could be a bunch of veggie scraps, you know, cutting up veggies for the kiddos. So veggie scraps like broccoli or maybe carrot stems, etc. And then in the donation column, I like to always keep that on a waste audit because I think people will throw away things like appliances or clothes that doesn't necessarily need to go to the landfill. There's simple fixes or people just don't necessarily want to take it to a donation station. So I think it's a good idea to be keeping track of things that you should work on getting rid of over the next couple of months. So if there's an appliance that you think could be fixed, either you can fix it yourself, bring it to a repair shop or post it up in a buy nothing group. There's buy nothing groups or a group on Facebook that are amazing. They join your community. You share things for free. Um, A lot of times people want to fix things up on there. So I'm not necessarily going to talk about the donation. But so if you're looking at this waste audit with your garbage recycling and kind of food waste habits, what you can then do is kind of start to reflect and see what is accessible for you to start tackling in terms of making a swap. Maybe it's not accessible for you to stop using paper towels right now, especially with COVID. Maybe there's guidelines in place where you need to be using disposable rags. So that's something that you immediately know you don't need to be making a change on. You could write next to it that you could get cloth paper towels, but maybe that's not something that you can work on right now. Maybe you choose to want to start focusing on snacks. Are, are there more snacks that you can be making at home? Can you be making your own granola bars? Can you be making your own protein snacks? Do you want to incorporate more fruits and vegetables versus little baggies of chips or fruit snacks or things like that? So what you really can do is sit down and look at what is accessible for your life right now. What changes could you make next? Or can you just not make any changes at all right now? That's another really valid point is some people's lifestyles, they just don't have the room to be making a change right now. I mean, maybe you're a single mom and you just, you can't be making all your snack for your business. In terms of recycling, the thing I like about 
recycling is a lot of people's recycling is made up of drink containers. So glass bottles and plastic bottles. And there are so many amazing alternatives on the market right now. Like the soda stream is pretty accessible in terms of price when you compare to how many bottles of sparkling water soda you purchase each year. Soda stream makes your own sparkling water that you can flavor at home. That's a huge win in terms of reducing recycling that you're sending. So there's there's swaps that you can make out there or maybe just make your own homemade juice or cut out the sparkling water for health reasons. In terms of compost, I think that's where I get really excited because I think families don't realize that you can be saving a lot of money on your food each week by meal planning and by saving those veggie scraps and making whole new dishes. I mean, I save my scraps and make veggie broth. So veggie broth is something I don't have to buy at the store anymore. And it was something I was buying every single week. Carrot tops and green onions, those can be regrown in your kitchen and you can just keep using those. And that's a really fun activity to do with the kiddos for them to grow something inside on the windowsill. That's just amazing to see. Um, and then you can also just make so many new recipes with food scraps. And it's a great way to get veggies into your meal and, and to just be continuing to use what you already purchased. So I guess I'll just throw out there, I love using broccoli stems to make broccoli fritters or broccoli soup. I think that's something super underrated. So just to throw it out there, always save your broccoli stems. There's so many recipes and they're so good for you. Basically what I'm saying is it helps you to set goals by addressing what's accessible to your life right now. The thing is, is that the waste audit's gonna be different for every single person who does it. I mean, nobody is in the same boat. And nobody is able to pay an outside company. Well, maybe some people are, but most people are not able to pay an outside company to come into their home to monitor their trash for a week. So basically, what I just want to propose to you is to just commit to looking at what you're outputting, to commit to finding some alternatives out there, and then to commit to just trying to make a swap a month, a swap every two months. Just start thinking about how you can incorporate this into your lifestyle because I guarantee you're going to find it's a lot less overwhelming than you thought at the start and you're going to find that there's so many ways to not only save money but to save time in your routine by making some of these swaps. So I think it's a really good idea to make your own worksheet. You can always go to my website, find the worksheets I created with reflections and goal setting kind of worksheets on there as well as a whole list of sustainable swaps for every single category. I mean, this is something you can talk about for days. The amount of alternatives out there right now, it's so inspiring to see. It's just what works for you. Yeah. And I think that that's an important distinction that it's a very personal journey. Like you may start to see or even follow different influencers online that kind of promote low waste lifestyles and what works for them might not work for you. And what works for your neighbor might not work for you. So I do like that emphasis on personalization and I will share the links to your worksheets in case anyone wants to check those out. And your waste audit is really similar to something that I like an exercise that I have in the Outdoor Minimalist book that's coming out in September. So I do kind of want to talk about how people can start to integrate that into their outdoor lifestyle as well, because I think zero waste backpacking is nearly impossible mm-hmm. because you need non-perishables. All of those are packaged kind of like your snacks. And so the waste data is relatively similar to what you're explaining if someone is to go backpacking or even day hiking. And I think that in that situation, it's even a little bit easier because it's a shorter time frame, unless you're doing a through hike, of course, but this is more focused to like weekenders and day hikers and stuff because you only have, say, three days worth of trash. So you can actually 
have it all laid out on the floor when you come home. So I guess, do you have any tips or advice for people that are looking at that approach to a waste audit in their outdoor recreation? And it it could just be focused on the food if you want to stick in that realm. Otherwise, if you have any tips for gear as well. Yeah, well, I think think the main thing, you know, is, is to allow yourself breaks especially in terms of something like backpacking. That's something that's really hard to get around the snack packaging. I mean, unless you have the time to, you know, dehydrate your own fruits or or to pack nuts that you purchased in bulk. I mean, I think the waste you're going to generate there is not going to be super impactful and it's more of a one-off time. So what I would say for that is, is I would allow yourself a break because you're out there, you know, supporting your mental health. You're out there connecting with nature. As long as you're packing everything in, Um, not leaving anything behind. I think that's being conscious when you're outside in nature is the most important thing. I think what you can do to make a super large impact in terms of that is finding secondhand gear. There are so many websites. There are so many stores even just around the U.S. where you can go and purchase repaired secondhand gear. There's nothing wrong with it at all, but instead of buying new, you're able to get probably all of your gear, all of your clothing, et cetera, used, repaired, it's going to be probably almost like new condition. And I think that's really important to keep things out of the landfill, especially if you're kind of allowing yourself to generate waste in in a different area. It's really important to be a conscious consumer with kind of the rest of what you're doing. Of course, being safe and safety is going to be the number one priority. So buy something that makes you comfortable being outside in nature, you know, you should never sacrifice the quality or your safety in terms of being more zero waste. I mean, as we talked about before, the responsibility isn't on us as the individual, it's the consumer. I think that's really important to remember because we do not need to be perfect in every aspect. So what I love about the Outdoor Minimalist is that everyone already loves being outside. We have a passion for the earth and treading lightly on it is kind of the main mission for everyone. So I think just being conscious when you're on the trail You know, it's okay if you produce some plastic, just bring it back with you and dispose of it properly. That's really what you can do if if you're able to dehydrate fruits and nuts. I mean, those will keep you going for a really long time, won't take up too much room in your bag, um, and you can always package those zero waste. But, you know, allow yourself to bring a granola bar. Um, Allow yourself to bring something that will fulfill you. But maybe just try to be a little more conscious when you're purchasing some of the other aspects that you need for trip. I mean, it's all just about trying to go through life having that little eco-conscious light bulb going off as you're making decisions. Just trying to tread a little more lightly on the earth, I think. I think just having that mindset is way more important than looking at every aspect of your life and being like, how can I be perfect? How can I generate no waste? Because for most of us, that's going to be impossible. So allowing ourselves breaks, but also just being conscious, I think that's the most important way we can make a change. Yeah, finding that balance, I think, is really important. And and maybe for some people, because outdoor recreation isn't a daily activity, that could be an easier place to kind of start and reevaluate because it would be less overwhelming. But like you said before, it is a very individual process. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have talked a lot about individuals, but I also do want to touch a little bit on how waste audits can fit into a business model, no matter the size of your company. So what types of resources or concepts would you have for people who are business owners and want to incorporate any type of waste auditing or reduction of waste into their business model? I love that you bring this up because businesses have a responsibility 
to be monitoring what type of waste they're generating. You know, that's just part of the responsibility of being a producer of consumer goods. You know, here we as individuals deserve the respect from businesses for them to be taking this into their own hands um, and watching what waste they're generating. But not only that, a waste audit actually for businesses can maximize your operations, can reveal cost savings. Um, and not only that, but it, it actually measures the success of sustainability measures that you may have. So what I love for businesses is that there's actually companies all over the U.S. Um, that you can bring in and they will do a waste audit for your company just themselves. It's, it's an outside source who's able to come in and to provide you with real statistics on the changes that you can make. So it's not you keeping your employees there sorting through trash, which I mean, most businesses, I don't think employees are going to be wanting to stay after to do something like that. But what's beautiful is that there are so many companies out there now who want to do these waste audits, who want to help businesses see where they can cut back on packaging cut back on loss of inventory. And what's beautiful about it is that it ends up saving businesses money almost every time. I mean, so many businesses go through unnecessary loss in so many different areas. On top of that, individuals within a business can also participate in waste audits. I worked for a water management organization and they did a three-year project actually where they randomly would look at different employees garbage and recycling bins in their desk areas so they'd perform random waste audits on individual choice and at the end of each month they would kind of present each team with those waste audits and it got slightly competitive within the business and everyone wanted to become the least wasteful team so over three years they basically eliminated almost all of their waste, their recycling practices got better, and almost all of them reported, you know, feeling satisfied with the waste audit process. I think what's beautiful is that individuals take pride in being able to make a difference. So not only is the business succeeding, they're saving money, they're coming out on top, but individuals within can also feel like they're making a difference. It's something that I think every business should have in their policies and procedures is to have a waste audit, you know, if not every year, every couple of years, something that just makes sense for um, businesses. And it can just be done as operations. It can be done with your employees inside. But what's beautiful is there's so many businesses out there that want to come in and do waste audits. I mean, I personally didn't know that was a thing until probably about two years ago. I just assumed all businesses were doing this themselves. But if you Google waste audit companies or organizations in your city, I'm, I'm sure you'll find at least three to five. I mean, it's, it's becoming a super, super big field. Waste audits are, we're seeing that we really need them and we need to be assessing what we're generating and we need to be changing it fast. So I think businesses have a lot of opportunity to get involved in waste audits. And I think it's something we're going to see is more increasing as a standard for businesses, especially as they try to get things like the LEED certifications. Becoming a sustainable business is becoming kind of a, a badge of honor, if that makes sense, which I think is awesome. I think that's great that it's kind of we're putting the pressure on on businesses to incorporate sustainability and to be transparent with us. I'm just excited to see kind of how that grows and, and how businesses step up to take that responsibility and how they're able to include employees on that journey. I think that's going to be beneficial in the long run for everyone.
And wouldn't it be nice if that was just the standard that all companies are sustainable and they didn't have to jump through all these hoops to represent that. But I do, I agree. I appreciate that, that we are starting to see a more dramatic shift in that direction and that more people are trying to be Mm -hmm. transparent about their processes from extraction to disposal. So I love that. What other resources do you have for people? I will share the link to your website and the worksheets that you shared with us today. But these resources, they could be for individuals, but also for businesses. So do you have any places that you would direct people specifically? In terms of for waste audits, there there is so much online. I mean, you can watch videos, you can listen to podcasts. Everyone is going to kind of have a different spin on how to do it. Um, I think as long as you're kind of taking away the message that you're not committing to anything, this is more of a goal setting practice. I think I think that's the most important thing to take away. But in terms of resources, just overall, I think it's so important for people to be joining online groups and following sustainable influencers, mainly because it allows you to have a constant flow of information and resources that you can choose to interact with whenever you have the brain space to do so. Most people use social media every single day on your break. So personally, I just went on Facebook, I went on Twitter, I went on Instagram, and I just followed a whole bunch of accounts. So when I'm scrolling through, I can choose to interact with I don't know, um, a sustainable swap, or I can choose to interact with a piece of science or with a piece of news, but I'm not committing to doing so. I think this way you're having a constant flow of information around you that you can choose to take action on or not. And I think joining online groups is super critical too, because once you start getting involved in the climate movement, it's so easy to just feel alone and to feel like you have no one to talk to, feel like no one understands what you're going through. And so joining online groups, whether it be on Facebook, on something like Meetup or your Nextdoor app, I think that's so important to be able to talk to someone about what you're feeling and what you're going through, because otherwise you're going to shut off your brain to this whole crazy climate movement, and you're probably going to take yourself out of the running for making change or for advocacy. And it's super understandable because I personally have been through that. But if you're able to talk to people and if you're able to kind of keep a flow of information going around you that's manageable, I think you're really in a better position to push through that barrier of, I guess I would say, scariness or overwhelmingness. Um, And then you're able to feel a little more grounded and you're able to absorb information better. You're able to keep it on your own kind of timeline and make yourself feel comfortable easing into it versus sitting down and watching eight documentaries in a row and thinking that that's your kind of flow of information and you're all set. I think it's all about balance and I think it's about plugging yourself into those communities kind of have to take the action and the initiative to put yourself into those channels of communication But once you do so, I mean, you're surrounded by a support system and you're surrounded by information that I think on social media, everyone's making it a lot easier to digest, which is so important because I came into this reading scientific journals and essays, and that's a whole different experience than people kind of slowly easing in. I kind of hit a concrete wall and I really would encourage people to, instead of hitting that concrete wall, to kind of slowly trickle into the climate movement and get a a good grounding versus diving in headfirst. Yeah, those are all really, really approachable suggestions, and they're easy for people to integrate and then kind of introduce little pieces, little bits here and there as they kind of grow on their journey. And I will say for my own life, I really do love the online communities. And I think I really started to get involved during COVID in more of those because they Mm -hmm. are just a stellar place to ask 
questions because there's so many people that are kind of experiencing the same issues as you. Not only can you find really great answers, but it also helps you feel a little bit less alone in having those types of questions because sometimes you're like, is this a silly question? I don't know. And then you can post it in one of those groups on a discussion board. You'll find out that there's probably like hundreds of other people, (laughs) at least one or two, maybe not hundreds every time, but like one or two other people (laughs) that are wondering the exact same thing and they'll be excited that someone decided to ask. But with all of that information, I think, I mean, I had a lot of really great takeaways from what you had to say today, but how can people kind of follow along with you and find your blog and what are your social handles? Yeah, definitely. So people can find my blog online. It is just cut-the-crap.org. So Cut the Crap is my main website. Be on the lookout for some book clubs starting. We're going to have some DIY workshops that people can get involved in. When you go to the website, you can sign up for the newsletter. There will be a little pop-up. That's a great way to stay connected. Um, we send out a monthly resource guide, hopefully that people are referring back to throughout the month in their email. It's got books, podcasts, films, job listings, just so much. I try to send out a resource-packed newsletter once a month so I'm not to annoy you all with a bunch of emails. My social handles for Instagram, it is keep underscore cutting the crap. Post some great things on there, some tutorials, graphics. It's a great place to follow to stay up to date with our events as well. And then our Facebook page, just facebook.com slash keep cutting the crap. That is our Facebook, and you can connect with us on there. We'll also be posting the events. Um, The Instagram and the website is going to be the most active way to stay connected with us. But we're just going to keep growing. It's just me as the team, but I'm hoping to keep growing and get some more resources and events out there for people to connect with and to take action in their lives and their communities. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And I hope people find a lot of value in what you had to say. And I will put all of the links to your social channels as well as your website in the show notes. So if someone is driving or something, you can just check that out later. But thanks again for being on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Starting today, Monday, February 7th, new content is being released on the Outdoor Minimalist Patreon. Head over to theoutdoorminimalist.com for more information about our listener support and patron exclusives. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book. Follow there for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.